0: Hello,
1: and welcome to the Brain Mastery Podcast brought to you by ABI Wellness. This series features renowned experts on brain injury, brain health, and rehabilitation. Be sure to visit abiwellness.com for more resources.
0: Welcome to the Brain Mastery Podcast. It's Michelle here again, taking over from Mark with another client focused episode. Uh, Today, we're diving into a discussion around long COVID, uh, talking about symptoms and treatments and what the future holds for this population. Over the past two and a half years, we know that more than 523 million people have been affected with COVID. And we know this number is low because many countries haven't had the ability to test or or test fully. From research over this time, it's suggested that 30% 30% of these cases suffer from post-acute COVID-19 syndrome, which is more commonly known as long COVID. And these individuals are suffering from long-term effects of the infection, which include respiratory, heart, neurological, digestive, and other general symptoms. At ABI Wellness, our focus has been on reviewing the neurological symptoms as they are akin to brain injury symptoms. And this is, this is our, our path. This correlation has also been recognized by the World Health Organization. Because of this correlation, we implemented a three-month study using our BEARS platform, which is primarily devised for people with cognitive dysfunction. Today, I am so grateful to share the mic with two members of the study who are helping us learn firsthand how to manage, treat, and hopefully remedy the neurological effects of long COVID. Welcome, Kathy Williams and Adriana Pitino. Uh, Kathy is the manager of operations. She is currently on a six-month leave of absence from her nonprofit organization. Adriana is a consultant for insurance benefits, and uh, she is also the lead administrator for Long COVID Canada. So both of you have worked very hard in your life. You have very demanding jobs. And you both have been off work because of long COVID. Maybe you both can go into a little bit of your story with me. Kathy, can we start with you?
2: Sure. I um, contracted COVID in August of 2021. I was double vaxxed. And so I basically, I got a breakthrough infection of the Delta variant. And um, I was off work for a couple of weeks. Uh, luckily, my work recognized COVID and what was happening around it and gave us a special sick bank of of the two weeks we needed to recover. Um, And then I I did start returning to work and luckily also worked from home mostly. So I was able to ease back in and, you know, I just, I, for the first month or so, I I felt kind of, you know, still the fatigue wasn't, you know, just, I wasn't quite coming back um, but I had some major deadlines to deal with at work, and pushed through, you know, it's just you know, I had the flu. I just got to, you know, obviously, I just got to push through and get get things done. and uh, and then, in November, I started getting massive headaches that were debilitating and and speaking with some friends uh, who had been diagnosed with long covid they pointed out that there's a good chance that I have long COVID and that I should speak to my doctor and get referred to the long COVID clinic in Vancouver, which I did. And after talking with them in in January of 2022 and getting accepted into the program, they had suggested that I I take some time off to recover and heal. And I was hesitant because I worked for a nonprofit and I had a lot on my plate. So I attempted to work uh, part-time Hours, but realizing it just wasn't working for me, and I had to take a leave of absence. And so here I am, I guess, working and figuring out that I need to take time off. Um, My life was basically becoming work only and sleep the rest of the time, which was I I was losing my my own life.
0: So you were impacted heavily by the fatigue, obviously, Headaches, headaches,
2: body aches yeah you, you name it like every place that i had um physically hurt in my body in my lifetime decided to come back and attack me <laughs>
3: uh-huh. usually all
2: at the same time you know oh yes. yeah there's where i hurt my foot falling down a post hole you know that sort of thing oh there's where i fractured my hip when i was 15. yeah they've oh, they, they really came back to uh make themselves noticed
0: and that—that's quite a time frame, too, from point of infection to uh, the, all the symptoms actually uh, developing. Yeah, I, I think
2: it's just because um, you know, with I guess my work style and uh, and just what we we're how we're taught to function in this world, it's like you get sick and then you just go for it, right? And there probably was a lot more happening that I was just
0: ignoring. So, yeah. <laughs> Oh, thank you for sharing that, Kathy. And Adriana... Your story is it there again, very different. And this is one of the one of the one of the things we're learning a lot about individuals with long COVID is everyone's story is very unique, which is the same as as individuals with brain injury, right? We have a saying that there's when you've seen a brain injury, you've seen one brain injury. Same thing with long COVID. You know, there might be overlapping symptoms, but everyone's everyone's journey is quite different. Can you share with us your journey?
1: Yeah, for sure. And thank you. I got sick. Exactly on Christmas day, 2020, uh, before the vaccines were available to me. And ever since my initial infection was absolutely brutal, my oxygen would drop to low 80s, uh, high 70s during the night, but it would kind of go up and down. The highest that it would go would be 91. If I was lucky, so I was very low on oxygen, my heart rate would go to close to 200 beats just from walking from my bedroom to the kitchen. I had absolutely no energy. It was brutal. It was the most brutal thing that I've experienced in my life. And I never quite recovered. I was actually very low on oxygen. I had very a few mini heart attacks because I was lacking of oxygen. And my doctor at the time didn't want to give me supplemental oxygen because she didn't believe in COVID at the time. She thought that I was Stressed and having gastrointestinal issues like heartburn or something like that. When my heart rate was going between 55 to 180, 190 in a couple of seconds, it took me through long therapy about 11 months just to be able to laugh again. I couldn't even laugh because I would break into a coughing fit and faint from the lack of oxygen on my brain. Um, I used to be a competitive swimmer, so I tried to just push through and this is not going to let me control me and I'm going to get up and get better. And I ended up in the hospital a few times. I almost died. I've all, I've been very close to dying for five times now. The most recent one was a couple of months ago actually. So it's been a very scary experience for me. As my body now, you know, fatigue obviously has always been an issue. Uh, brain fog was an issue, but I always accounted it for the low oxygen. But as my lungs started to get better, my heart is still bad. and My heart rate is still very sporadic, not as extreme as before because I'm on two beta blockers. But as my lungs started to get better and my energy started to maybe improve a little bit, I started noticing my brain was declining even more than before. I started having episodes where I could not understand words. I can't follow a story on TV. I can't follow a conversation. Sometimes I would actually want to speak and literally like gibberish would come out of my mouth. Things like that. I obviously can't tolerate a lot of screens, emails, nothing like that. So, It started to be really concerning to me because in my mind, once I was able to find a doctor who I was very lucky, supported me in long COVID and has been trying as many treatments as can possibly find, taking care of my physical wellness, trying to very slowly improve it to whatever extent possible, with my mind declining, it started taking away hope of me coming back to work when I wanted to. with the months going by, my my brain has just been declining and declining and declining as time goes on. And that's the most scary thing that there's nothing to control it. And there's yeah, nothing I, I think you hit on something so
0: important. There is the word hope, right? You know, mm-hmm. because it is such a new thing. We don't know much about it. We're learning as we go. And there is that fear and that lack of hope when you go and see your doctor and they're learning too. They don't have all these answers. They, they don't know either. And I imagine, you know, putting myself in their shoes, that would be very frustrating if if I was being looked at by so many people to have these answers and I don't have them, you know, um, I'm here to help people get better and I don't have the tools. I don't have the resources. I don't have the knowledge. That has to be very frustrating for them as well and then not to be able to provide them with that hope or those solutions. So, you know, it, it, is, it is very common for individuals to, to say that they weren't listened to by their physicians. But I think it's, it's more that the physicians ne- didn't necessarily have any resources to provide them. So we do have these, these clinics, which is wonderful, mm-hmm. uh, Kathy, that you mentioned that you're a part of. I don't know if you are, Adriana, as well. Yeah, sorry, uh, I forgot to mention that. Yeah, no, 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 that's all good. So, you know, how how has the clinics been able to assist you and provide you? Or have they been able to provide you with additional hope and with some the resources to help you manage? And, and are you getting any benefits from it? Please like explain this to me because I'm not that familiar with what goes on in these clinics and how they're 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 providing their treatments and I'm sure it's different in different geographical areas, but from your experience, what can you share?
2: Well, I'm I'm at the VGH clinic and um, yeah, they've they've been an amazing resource. I mean, number one, the just going in for the intake interview, telling my story to the nurse and being heard and being understood and listened to and and made to feel Like, I'm not crazy, like that, that this was real. And the things I I was saying, like, it was an amazing experience to go in and be able to talk to the nurse and then the doctor and, uh, and just, and be told, yes, many people are experiencing, you know, very similar and, and you're, it's real. So the clinic, you know, it, it, it keeps growing and developing. And in the time since I've been a part of the clinic since February, I've seen growth and change, but they, they provide us. So the clinics have a social worker, an occupational therapist and a physiotherapist along with a few doctors on rotation and nurses. And the the specialists provide classes for us to take on things like breathlessness, fatigue, brain fog. (laughs) Oh gosh, I'm forgetting all the ones, but uh, Oh, mental health, you know, and, uh, And they're just great sessions to learn about what's happening and uh and different ways to cope with it and they provide us with handouts and resources and yeah they provide us with uh uh different resources and then you can you can like there's a bunch of like one hour classes that you can sign up for they're online and so luckily they are only an hour because a lot of people don't have stamina to, to to be online for more than an hour at a time but um uh, and then they also have like some six-week program ones, four-week program ones. I don't know. And and generally the all the staff, they've been supportive. You know, if I, I call with questions, you know, they're they'll take the time to answer and help you out and point you in in a good direction.
0: That's wonderful. So their their focus is really on education, number one, is yeah. I'm assuming, and kind of um coping strategies. Right. Okay. Yeah, and and and
2: they they are very clear, and it's and it partly is misunderstood about these post COVID clinics. They're not there to do the actual work. Like the OT isn't there to assess me per se, mm-hmm. and uh, and set up plans for return to work. They're yeah, they're there for the education right. part of it, and and just helping everyone understand what they're going through and how to handle it.
0: Okay, yeah. So we're we're leaning more on the compensatory strategies again, and and the education, which. Is important. Absolutely. Right. Like the more education we have, the better we can we can acknowledge our symptoms and try and sort things out because we are different as well. Right. We're all different. And so what might work for me might be different for you. So, you know, definitely that's so helpful. And Adriana, do you go to the same clinic or are you belonging to a different one?
1: No, I was referred over to St. Paul's and um, my experience, unfortunately, hasn't been as positive as Kathy's. I was referred in March by my new physician who has been very supportive. I didn't get my first interview until July with the nurse and my first official call with the doctor at the end of September explaining my case. You know, um, my lungs, uh, I I was having still very difficult, a lot of difficulty breathing, my heart issues. I couldn't be outside because I. I couldn't be outside for more than a couple of minutes because symptoms would come and I would crash down horribly and then just end up in bed for days on end in horrible pain, the brain fog, the fatigue, all of that. I was deemed uh, as a very urgent and severe case of long COVID. And back then they didn't have a lot of experience with a lot of cases too. So the doctor was very upfront with me and told me that, you know, they wouldn't, they wouldn't be able to help me as much because they don't have a lot of knowledge based on all the symptoms that I'm having, especially because I have a lot of multi-organ damage. They would only be able to tell me what they've noticed on a very general scale, what works for people. They were going to refer me to about six or seven specialists, which included um, an occupational therapist as well a psychiatrist, a cardiologist, a pneumologist, a neurologist, and a couple of more that I can't remember, internal medicine, and then schedule my follow-up for December. Once December came and I had my follow-up, I still hadn't talked to any specialists. I had to repeat my story all over again to the, the same doctor that I spoke to in September. And he said, well, that's, Too bad that you're still sick, but keep pushing through and good luck. We'll let you know about the specialist whenever because they're really busy and the waiting lists are kilometric, so hopefully soon, but we've put it like very urgent case for you. To this day, which by the way, I was officially discharged at 18 months, even though I'm still sick, I still can't leave my house due to the neurological damage that I have. I still can't obviously work. I still can't do a lot of things. My heart is still messed up. I was discharged at 18 months because I have passed over whatever they're able to help me. I've spoken to, since December until now, I've spoken to one social worker and three nurses having to repeat my story yet all over again, which is absolutely and it tires you out, you know, it takes a lot of energy. It's it's at, at least an hour, an hour and a half phone call. And for the specialist that I, I was going to be referred to, I've only seen the occupational therapist twice mm-hmm. and the internal medicine once. Yeah. And that's it. And they weren't help, able to help me either. So... The only thing that I, I really learned from them was to be more adamant with my pacing and the energy envelope and trying to control my energy. I have lots and lots and lots of my symptoms and how I'm feeling. And because of the post-exception on my list taking up to 48 hours, 70, 72 hours sometimes, mm-hmm. the fatigue doesn't manifest right away. So, so a lot of the times you think that you're doing something and you tolerated it, and two, three days later, you're in bed, completely unable to move, yeah. not understanding why. So I go back to my log and be like, oh, I had a very emotional phone call two days ago that took a lot of energy out of me.
0: So keeping, keeping a journal and keeping a logbook, understanding what you're doing and how you're doing things and what, what events affect you a day or two later, You know, that's mm-hmm. all part of your journey, right? And I'm sure that... The negative components of your journey has also been what has moved you so much to be an advocate for individuals suffering from long COVID, you know, because you are administrator on Long COVID Canada. And um, I know that you've been on, on different um, media, uh, radio, on TV and and things like that. And so that probably is one of those driving factors for you as well, I'm assuming. I know that, you know, Kathy and Adriana, you both have, you know, quite demanding jobs you know, and obviously you both are off work currently. And how has that been a challenge? Because I think that, People think that when you get sick, you have coverage, you know, and in in most situations when you have extended health benefits, you do have, you know, disability coverage uh, short term or long term or both. And how has that experience been for you? Because I think there's probably a lot of learning going on in that industry as well.
2: Can I, can, I just want to,
0: can I just reference quickly back to
2: what Adriana was saying about the of post-COVID course. clinics? Um, yeah. Because I have, I I know a few other people who have gone through the clinics as well. And my friend also probably was admitted into St. Paul's long COVID clinic around the same time as Adriana. And um, I think, you know, and when I, I've only been a part of it for six months now. So I have another year, you know, they've set this 18 month window for, for patients. And, uh, and I do feel bad for those that were early, early joiners in the post-COVID clinics because, as as we keep saying, everyone was just learning; nothing was known. And now, now a lot of these people have aged out of the system.
1: Mm-hmm. But you know,
2: even in the past six months, I've seen so much change and learnings, and and even in the in the classes that they present, there's always new information. Yeah, but but I understand they have to age people out because there's so much demand. You know, and there's only there is only five post-COVID clinics in B.C. at the moment, I believe. So, um, you know, it would be great if the government could provide more funding for more of these clinics to happen. And and uh, and and that if they could interlink themselves as well to share a lot of their learnings, because, you know, I I talk to people from other clinics and, and I share information that I've had. And, uh, and they're like, oh, no, we didn't learn that. And I'm like, oh, here you go. And then I learned that, you know, so it's just, you know, but again, we're all learning. Regarding the, um, what was the, oh, my experience with going off work. And yeah. Um,
0: just, just, you know, I know that there's struggles, right? And so trying oh, to right. understand how to navigate those struggles. Because, you're, you know, um, obviously you need to apply for disability funding you know, are you accessing that? You know, how are you managing with all of this? Because it's, it is definitely a struggle on every aspect.
2: It is. Um, So at my place of employment, we don't have short-term disabilities. So uh, my go-to was EI sickness benefits and the post COVID clinic did assist me in completing the doctor's certificates for that because they have had a lot of experience with it. And that's um like at this point they will they will sign papers for short term sickness and they're not into the long term realm yet so it wasn't that challenging of a process getting on EI for me because I did have the assistance of the the long haul clinic to help me out and they they had navigated those waters before and were able to guide me and interestingly my doctor also um wasn't that well versed on long covid you know, I did get the initial like, oh, you're of the age where it might just be perimenopause, you know, <laughs> and I was like, no, it's not. You know, like this all started right after I got sick, you know, so so at least I had that support to get on EI right away. The downfalls of going on to EI is the transition to long term disability, because if you have an employer who has short term and long term disability, you know, at least it stays within the same system. And you've already done a lot of that initial hard work. Though it was nice ei generally didn't didn't like i didn't have any troubles they didn't question me or anything um i've dealt with insurers before both as an employer and an employee and uh you know i'm really glad that i didn't have to face those huge hurdles in the early days when i was really not well when i when mm-hmm. i really was just completely messed up you know neurologically yeah. know. and um but I am now, now I am facing uh, applying for a long term disability. I started my the application process uh, at the end of June. My EI ran out uh, July 15th. And I only just received my long term disability decision three days ago, which is mid September. And they denied me based on the fact that I wasn't hospitalized. So they don't think my symptoms are from, from my COVID infection. And then they also came back and told me that they believe that my issues are a mental health issue, not long COVID. So I did reply right away and sent them a link to the Government of Canada website that clearly states that long COVID is not only just people who were hospitalized, but also people with with mild cases. Yeah, yeah, mild. Yeah, basically not hospitalized, you know. So um, I sent that directly back to them. I said, I'm not sure who you're Medical consultant who reviewed my case is and what kind of information they have, but if the federal government and my provincial government recognize that it's not hospitalized people as well, like that mm-hmm. everyone can get long COVID no matter what style of infection they had, how dare you turn me down? So now I'm in in the fight for my life now, and uh, mm-hmm. and yeah, I've had no income for two months, and uh, you know I, I can't return to work. At this point, you know, I'm not
0: all of this, all of these challenges, of course, it's going to affect your mental health. Oh, oh, it does, and that's I said, yeah. Like outside of just suffering with these depleting symptoms on an ongoing basis, right? Yeah. That, you know, and not being able to be yourself and feel like yourself and do the things you normally do. That induces, um, you know, um. Um, depression anxiety stress which isn't helpful you know and then you know and then having to fight you know yeah
2: Yeah, that and it's like and and i have to i wish i had an advocate to fight for me who i could tell the story because the the mental energy that it takes to tell your story adriana was referring to it earlier Mm -hmm. it literally does take so much mental energy that You know, like even even of us after talking today, I probably will have a bit of a crash, you know, but I'm here to give it my all. But, you know, when you have to like
0: fight and tell your story and explain and paperwork and, you know, it's it's almost like having um, I know in brain injury, we have community support workers, right, who work with you and they're able to tell the story or help gather the information with you so that it's presentable in in a an easier format, right? Exactly. So having that type of support system, I mean, obviously, the the uh, the groups that you guys are are attending with the different health authorities is helpful, just not in that way. So having the funding for that would be helpful to have that additional support and whether it's it's making your appointments or talking to other doctors or helping you with with your long term disability applications as well, right?
2: Yeah, there's so much because you know i I am very fortunate that i I generally don't have severe symptoms in the in like in the sense that that Adriana and a lot of people experience, like I'm very fortunate my I don't think my heart's been affected. I don't think my lungs have been affected. A lot of it is neurological for me. But that's my most important tool in order for me to have a successful, financially independent life. The hard thing, too, is like everyone looks at me and says, oh, well, you look normal. And I'm like,
0: well, I don't feel normal. That's what they say about a lot of people with a brain injury, too, right? It's the invisible injury, right? Yeah, And and, and that makes it very, very hard because you're like, I am struggling. I am suffering in here, right? And People are like, you look great.
1: You well, know, it's not like you're going to be walking around with a sign. Yeah. saying <laughs> I feel like on your forehead, face. you know, yeah. long
2: COVID survivor. Talk, um,
0: talking about neurological issues. That's a great segue into this. You guys were part of our three month study that we put together, understanding that, um, you know, the World Health Organization came out saying, hey, you know, if you have any treatment to help people with brain injury, use that in long COVID. You know, it will help with the cognitive deficits. We believe it's a it's akin to a brain injury. So when we when we attended that that session and we heard this information, Sean, our um, our local neuroscientist here, who has really helped develop the program, um, he said, "Let's try this out. Let's let's gather some data and let's put together um, a small study of individuals and let's let's learn from them as well." Right. And so you guys were part of that small group, which we're so grateful to have you, uh, you know, attend and and participate in. We're learning continuously, as you had mentioned, both of you. um, But we learned a lot from you throughout that three months. And I think one of the things that shocked me the most, and I don't know if this is reflective to either view, but it is in the research data that we've accumulated, is that there is a reduction of headaches after going through the BEARS program, which I was quite astounded by actually, because usually when you have that screen time, you know, um, it can induce, but it could have been because it is smaller screen time, a lower dose, you know, we meet you where you're at, but how did it help with other symptoms that you might have experienced? So just just so the, the, everybody listening understands, the BEARS program was, was facilitated two times a week for three months. And you attended for about an hour to an hour and a half. Is that correct? Yeah. So. yeah. So, so tell me how that helped. How? What were the benefits that you noticed? And how would you describe the experience?
2: Uh, for me, it was, um, I was so fortunate and, and I'm so thankful that I was accepted into the program when uh, my friend had actually seen the news program saying it. And she's like, you need to send an email right away. And I'm like, you betcha, I'm on it. Yeah, it was it was a it was a bit of a journey, you know, because again, we were all learning. You know, at first, we were told, you know, it'll be two hours a day, twice a week, and it's just like most of us, are like I haven't been on the computer for more than an hour at a time, and uh, you know, and, that, and that's where we learned. It's like, yeah, we definitely have to go with the meet you where you at, do as much as you can, that sort of thing. What I liked about it, it was it was such a simple concept. But it did challenge me to think. and um, it um, I don't know. like it after after time, like once once we kind of got it, when I got into the rhythm and you know, and I knew what I was doing and and how far I could push myself and when to pull back, when to recognize symptoms are coming on, you know, it it definitely, I don't know, it it's hard to describe. I don't know why it helped alleviate the headaches. But it was definitely there that that in that period, because it's funny, even now that we're a couple of weeks out of not doing it, my headaches are coming back. and uh, and i'm I'm not sure, you know, if it was just because it, it, similarly to exercising your body, you know, when you exercise, yeah, it hurts a little at first, but then, as you get that muscle, moving and massaged or whatever it it, um, you know, the the pain does go away and, and it helps. And I found also focusing on, on being on the computer, you know, that was also building up my tolerance for the screen time, you know? And so like, I, I know now definitely like I can do like an hour a day, definitely straight, you know, but I also would take breaks in between doing my set, my different sets and stuff. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, and and I think uh, like it did help just kind of generally like I I felt like like some more clarity coming with you know like just kind of clearing up the brain fog like when it comes to thinking, you know I like I definitely would love to explore doing it further because mm-hmm. basically I I felt improvement over the three months and and you can actually see in my in my results my improvements so mm-hmm. I yeah you
0: you had mentioned Kathy that that you are hoping that it would be implemented in in the program that you're you're working with at the, the health authority, which of course would be fantastic. But um, yeah. yeah. And it's I'm well, I, was to,
2: to, I, was, even, I just saw a news thing on CNN last week, I think, where, um, you know, in the States, they're, they're like, oh, they're recommending to do this like digital video game. And I'm like, well, that's just like bears. That's, you know, it's, it's using that... You know, it's
0: similar, but a little bit different. A little different, yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah.
3: it's it's like
0: giving you that that exposure to the screen time, obviously. But, you know, we're focused on building brain capacity. So rewiring those neural networks that have been dislodged or, or broken. And so, you know, there's no compensatory strategies involved here. It's it's and it's not just tolerance. Um, We want to we want to reconnect those connections for you, and that's what our data shows that happens. It reorganizes the brain connections, and that's really go ahead, go ahead.
1: (laughs) Sorry, it's really to recognizing, um, and I think that's one of the huge things about your guys is to recognize each individual's levels. Mm-hmm. And simplify it as much as needed. You know, it's uh, very similar to just as a point of comparison to me. When I was started to do my my lung therapy, you know, as a, as a swimmer, I started doing what's common knowledge to strengthen your lungs. You know, blow up uh, balloons and blow up through the straw in the water and doing all these things. And when I first met my my lung physiotherapist, she smacked me on the head almost because those were far too aggressive for me and they were actually causing more damage than good. So she had to dial me way back to the simplest exercises you can possibly think of, and then slowly build up on that. So. And with this, it's very similar because to me personally, I had a very bad concussion in 2015 that took me out of commission from work for about four months and took me out of being able to swim again for uh, about five, six months. And, you know, during that time I was lucky to find a chiropractor who was very into the new developments and exercises for concussions and recommended me a set of exercises and lumosity on top of that to help with the neuroplasticity and neural connections pathways Mm -hmm. and all of that, that you were talking about, Michelle. So when I started noticing my brain declining, I immediately went to that, you know, I'm going to try to do what I did for my concussion because at the end of the day, it's, I was feeling kind of similar symptoms, Mm -hmm. a lot worse with long COVID to be absolutely honest than the concussion. I was starting to forget where I am and, you know, I never had issues speaking or following a conversation with a concussion. And that's what's happening to me right now. Mm -hmm. I can't even tell you, I can't, I couldn't finish a full day of, um, flumosity that's cognitively. So when I first started the program and same as, uh, Kathy, I kind of panicked a little bit when they were saying two hours, I'm like, <laughs> I can't even do five minutes. And when they said a group setting, I'm like, I can't talk to my boyfriend and look at the TV at the same time because I, I, I short circuit. I can't do several conversations at a time. I can't talk to several people at the time. And I kind of got a little bit stressed out as to what that would look like. Mm-hmm. And I was very lucky. The coach actually explained to me, you know what? Give it a shot. And even if you take a little bit longer, having that exposure of doing the exercises plus being in that group setting and being able to handle different conversations at the time, that's also working different parts of your brain. So it may take you a little bit longer, but at least you're going to start building up from all that more wholesome perspective, if you will. So I started with doing one set in maybe like 20 minutes and I was completely out and by the end of the three months I was not only able to be more participating in the group setting um Mm -hmm. there were less than a handful of occasions that I did the full four sets but I made it at least the three of them um and to me, like the headaches and all of that, unfortunately, didn't diminish as much. But what was huge to me, and that's what I try to explain to people, is a lot of them expect quick results mm-hmm. and a lot of them expect things to be fixed like that because we need it, because we're desperate, because we want to go back to what we were. Mm-hmm. But. To understand that in a period of three months, maybe to a normal person, it doesn't look as something much, but to be able to have more awareness of symptoms coming exclusively Mm. from a cognitive place, because I've gotten kind of good in managing the physical and the emotional parts, but cognitively, it's always a variant. So to be sitting down, completely calm, no emotions and learning how to recognize those symptoms before you go to a crash from a purely cognitive place, learning how your brain is thinking to get to an answer, as simple as it may be, instead of saying it's just this answer, you find your brain going to all different ways to try to find the answer. Having that awareness, having that notion, that It is getting better. It is working. Even if it's a millimeter at a time, it's Mm -hmm. a millimeter further than you were the day before. And those truly add up. So if three months I went from doing 20 minutes and one set to doing almost a full hour, still with breaks, still with taking my own time to doing three sets and being in a group environment, to me, that is huge
0: you you bring up such a great point here um several thank you so much but talking about group um that is that is one of the one of the things i wanted to discuss quickly too is the fact that you know i hear so many people talk about isolation the feeling of isolation because You can't go out. It's too stimulating. It's too exhausting. Um, If you can go out, it's very limited. Holding conversations is really challenging. Having to explain yourself like you mentioned right over and over or feeling even like you have to because Mm -hmm. your friends don't understand right so there's a lot of that isolation that's involved with individuals with long COVID, and having um having a group treatment there's so many benefits to group which is one of the reasons we advocate group therapies Individual programs in group therapies. I should be clear because that's really important to really look at the individual. But group therapy is so important; it helps each other. You feel supportive. You encourage each other. And you know, I've seen many cases where people don't truly—they're not truly aware of the 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 gains that they've they've achieved. But their their uh, group member might go, "Oh my goodness! Remember you used to do this, and now you do this." And they're like, "Yeah, you're right. I didn't realize that, right? Because we don't always self reflect as much as as we could or should, right? So, how has that been for for both of you? How has that group therapy been?
2: I I thought it was it was fantastic and ideal because yeah, I did. You know, when I went off work April first, it was like I died. I did not hear from a single coworker for oh. months. You know, and so." I I do relish any opportunity for these, these groups. And um, you actually, you said it all there, like, you know, where it's the encouraging and, and you, you know, like we'd get to break and I'd see Adriana still there. And I'm like, yay, she made it an hour, you know, or, Mm -hmm. you know, if somebody drops off, Oh, I wonder how they're doing. Like it really became a support group. And, uh, and then, you know, we'd also, start talking you know in in the open time just about things going on and Mm -hmm. yeah it was it was amazing to be with with people experiencing the same thing and encouraging each other to Mm -hmm. to keep going and you know it was it's been great.
1: And I think that's exactly it like just being in a group of people with similar situations like you said Michelle is obviously not the same we all have different kind of our own individual damage and, and, and symptoms, but knowing that you can say something and they will understand the place that you're coming from. And you don't have to overly explain like you would have to your regular friends and so on, who would have no idea. Mm -hmm. It's really comforting that, you know, if, if, if you're having a bad day, they're really, there for you. They're really encouraging. They're really supportive. Uh, the coaches have been absolutely fantastic.
2: Oh, the coaches have been amazing.
1: That's so wonderful to hear.
0: <laughs> we take great pride in our year. training. That's for sure. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's so wonderful. I'm, I'm so happy that that experience has been one of of support and joy for you and a positive experience for you, because I know that many of your previous experiences might not have been. And, you know, we're grateful for your insight, for your knowledge, uh, for teaching us, you know, how to adapt and how to modify and how to you know, get the program more accessible to other individuals with long COVID because, we, you know, we know it works for brain injury. We've studied that. We, we, we know it works for co- cognitive dysfunction. And obviously there's, um, there's different ways to adapt programs even for brain injury. So, you know, adapting it for long COVID just just made a lot of sense. And you've helped us so much in learning how to do that and how to modify and how to just support and help even further, right? That's that's our our values that we live by, right? Service, we're here to serve. We're here to serve the population who requires help with cognitive dysfunction, right? Whether that's long COVID, whether that's brain injury, you know, it, it doesn't matter.
2: This came at the exact right moment for me. I believe it started, in, we started mid-June or, or end of mm-hmm. June. My initial leave of absence was three months and I was to return to work July 1st. And, you know, I, 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 was, I was starting to question, how am I going to know if I'm ready to go back to work? This isn't like a broken leg healing. This, You know, like there was nothing measurable to tell me if I, if I was going to be able to handle the work environment. And then we started the classes and almost instantly it made me realize, okay, no, I don't think cognitively I'm ready to go back to work but there was no other way to test it and it just it it really opened up my eyes and and then being able to speak speak about it to to the doctors to you know I think I need more time like I'm doing this program and I need to mm-hmm. work my brain and um yeah it was it definitely was probably the one thing that really helped me cognitively and uh, and to, to help even just make me stronger in knowing how to advocate for myself regarding my neurological symptoms.
1: Well, and especially to feeling that you're actually doing something about it, and you're doing something that is actually helping you. Like I said, even if it's a millimeter a day, it's it it counts. And I can tell you, Michelle, how many people have fleeted in the group and Kathy is not going to let me lie about this, (laughs) to have this something like this available not only in BC, but all over Canada, because as soon as the news came out about the program and opened the opportunity to enroll for the research, you know, there was so much disappointment from so many members. That they couldn't get in, and yeah. how can we make it available? How can we enroll? Why is this not in Canada? Like, and and that said, um, it's it's one thing to deal with the physical damage that COVID does to you, but when it starts taking over your mind and it starts taking over your ability to work, your ability to be yourself, your ability to cognitively be present and everything crumbles down, absolutely everything. Mm -hmm. And me personally, having worked in the group benefits plan, this should absolutely be an essential part of a getting back to work program. I can guarantee you that if I would have have done this at this time last year, that my lungs were starting to get better and start working on my brain before it got to the point that is now, there is a very high chance of me saying that I sh- I would be probably back to work by now. Wow. And I've been out of work for 21 months. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, financially, obviously, we are completely destroyed. My boyfriend got sick too. He's a long hauler as well. We got sick together. His physical symptoms improved after four or five months. He was mm-hmm. able to get back to work. And then... His cognitive symptoms started a couple of months later, and he's gone on the decline as well, Mm -hmm. Um, to the point that on February this year, he had to miss an opportunity to go into school for, he got a scholarship into BCIT for his dream career job in motorcycle technician, and he was going to start his Red Seal he couldn't do the first two weeks because of the cognitive issues that he's having. He couldn't follow the class. He couldn't follow a conversation. He forgot how to use tools that he's used his entire life. Mm-hmm. You know, if this program, me and him would have joined something like BEARS at the beginning when we started realizing we wouldn't have been able to lose that much work. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't have been able to rely on our families for financial support. We wouldn't have to sell so many things.
0: And I, I think you're, 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 you're hitting the nail on the head there, Adriana. You know, our, when COVID first happened, our government came in and helped everybody out financially you know whether you needed it or not pretty much you know you got assistance because it was it was just so devastating you know and affected so many people but now we have the ramifications of all of this and there is no financial assistance there is no financial aid there is no therapies there is no treatments and i think we as a community we as a society we as a country need to come together and start Putting action into these treatments. You know, we can study things until the cows come home. Uh, We have a tendency of doing that. You know, we'll study things and then we'll put it onto a shelf and it doesn't get implemented for another 12 years. You know, we don't have time to do that. We don't have the resources to do that. You know, we have people in need of treatment now. And if they get this treatment now, they will be able to go back to work. They will have a quality of life again. They will be able to, to, um, to, to share in other community activities, right? I mean, this this is what we need to do. We need to look after each other. That is what a society does. And I think that, you know, we're, we're so focused on, on um, the research component of it. And let's really try and dig down and understand, we know this works. We're seeing it. Let's just play it out. You can do the research in conjunction with it. Right. But let's just play this out and move things forward and help everybody who needs that help.
1: If, if this was implemented, uh, government funded, uh, the government realizing the huge need that already exists and it's going to get even more because people are getting more and more sick by the day. And I can tell you with the group how many applications, uh, the increase, the exponential increase that we've had in the influx of new members in the past few months alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, If the government was to realize the huge need of this right now, the influx of patients that you guys would have with all the different kind of symptoms, it would be a completely symbiotic relationship because you would be able to get all that data from all those different cases at the same time as getting them back back to their regular life, back to work, back to being a productive, contributed member of society, you know?
0: Exactly. Why
1: exactly. is the government sitting on an opportunity to help their citizens? And you start going into the bigger picture. It is the individual that's out of the workplace that's affecting the production of the company that's affecting the economy that's affecting. It starts going into uh, a drop of goes into and homelessness everything. and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Right? Why are you letting people stay disabled for months on end when they could yeah. very well be going back to work and going back to everything a lot sooner?
0: And there's the mic drop. Boom. <laughs> That's right.
2: <laughs> well, it's like it's you know so like I you know I kind of get why they're slow on the uptake of this like you know at first everyone thought this was a respiratory disease. And then it's like oh no, it's also affecting lung or heart which is associated to to the lungs. You know and and it's been so slow to recognize if, you know, like they they've talked about brain fog for a year, but you know, when you read the the articles coming out and the reports, it's like, you know, they're finally recognizing that there is this other level to it that is neurological, and you know, and either people that are fully sick with everything, or or people like me that it's just the neurological. But it's such an important piece, and it's even interesting talking to the people in the post COVID clinic you know, as I'm advocating for this, I'm like, I'm in this program. It's amazing. It's helping me out so much. And they're like, well, we don't really know yet because there's not enough studies and and it's like, no, really, Like like, I love everything that you're offering me here, but you're not actually offering me any help for my brain. <laughs> you know, there's a missing component to
0: this. Well, it's compensatory there again, right? You know, let's compensate for the brain fog. Okay, make a list, right? Set your timers, do that. Let's. We want to focus on fixing that, eliminating yeah. that brain fog so that you don't have to use compensatory skills if you don't have to,
2: right? Yeah, I'm really great at resting
1: and <laughs> pacing now. Good. But yeah, like I want to get that's back important to life. things. Yeah.
3: I want to be able to go on outside.
1: My I want to be able to go outside for more than five yeah. minutes like I can't I literally cannot leave my house because of the neurological damage and it was thought that it was because of the low oxygen that was affecting my brain and it was affecting everything but when my oxygen started to get better and I still can't be more than 10 minutes outside mm-hmm. because I just crash there's something wrong. <laughs>
2: how I went for months with massive headaches and no one was recognizing how damaging that was. And I wasn't recognizing what it was doing. I was just trying to push through. And like, I think it needs to be a part of like the initial, the initial acknowledgement of people after they've had COVID. It's not just checking your heart and your lungs. It's also checking your brain because, you know, those headaches were doing damage and sometimes i would work i'd be like oh i feel a headache coming on but i I can just work through and then i would drive home not really being able to see and like you know feeling like i'm drunk driving and uh you know like we need to acknowledge this whole neurological piece and and you know get on it before it does major damage and then you aren't able to work you know
0: on the wonderful note you know we, we are, we, BEARS is available at many clinics across North America, right? And they have access to our data, to the data you helped us accumulate, um, you know, so they're implementing BEARS for individuals with long COVID. They're doing their part. So we have it, like I said, across North America, in different provinces, different states, we're so excited to have that available. We would love to have it government funded. Obviously, that would make the most sense because that would have the biggest impact, right? And Where'd also to we... get insurance companies to
2: recognize exactly.
0: it too. Because, exactly. You know, that's
2: what yeah. I'm, as I'm applying for LTD, I'm, I'm going to be saying, I want this therapy. Yeah. You
0: know? Yeah. We have a solution you know, we have yes. a solution in place. And so we're doing our part to raise the awareness, to raise the accessibility. We're doing everything we can. we're we're fighting with you. We're fighting for you. Um, you know, that's all we can do. We're just trying to, I think Adriana, you mentioned it, you know, uh, screaming from the rooftops, with that cowbell, right? Like, hello, we're here. We have a solution. Let's be part of the solution, not the problem.
1: Right. Exactly. And you know what being no having the knowledge, especially like, I can't imagine how heartbreaking it must be. Uh, I know for me, it is. And Kathy, I'm pretty sure it is for you as well. Knowing that this, there's something like this that can make a significant difference in your quality of life and you can't afford it because you, you don't know if you're going to be able to buy food next week or not. Yeah. You know, literally there's, there's been so many months that the stress of, are we going to be able to pay rent? Are we able to, to buy food? And when something like this comes, it's like, okay, is the typical food or Mm -hmm. this program. And that is absolutely, it's unfair because it's something that it has to be taken up by the government because it's part of the healthcare to protect and and provide for its citizens Mm -hmm. who have been greatly affected. And it's uh, an irresponsibility for them to ignore this growing issue and leaving us on our lock on that dilemma of whether I eat or fix my brain. It's absolutely insane.
0: I couldn't have said it better myself. Thank you so much for sharing that. This is bringing us to the end of this wonderful podcast because I could spend all day talking to you lovely ladies. You know that I enjoy it. I, I've gotten to speak with you a few times before and we could continue this conversation. And we just might at a later time, we might do do a follow-up. I might have to go rest now. I think that's probably in order. Thank you for spending your energy with me today. I really, really appreciate it. More than you know, we are so grateful for your knowledge, for your wisdom, for your leadership, for your advocacy, you know, and we'll continue to work together and see what we can do to to try and really ensure that this population is heard and supported and provided with the treatments that do
1: help, right? And thank you so much to you guys because for giving us the opportunity and letting us know your willingness to help, that in the long Covid community is huge when you can't get help anywhere or acknowledge even the fact that you guys are stepping up the plate, trying to find something that accommodate long haulers, trying to make it available to us, realizing the growing need of this and actually wanting to to help us is absolutely incredible and fantastic and anything that we can do to help you we're there because you're doing something that no one else is doing and so are you and so are you thank you
0: um adriana uh long covid canada is that is that on a
1: facebook group yeah long covid canada is a facebook group uh, it has a black background and it's doing it's a wholesome community we are science-based Everything that we provide is being peer reviewed and, and acknowledged that it has been, it has a, a scientific data to back up whatever mm-hmm. treatments. And unfortunately, Canada is lacking on a lot of research again because of the, la- the lack of funding from the government. So we go a lot into the states um, and many other countries in the world who are doing research and try to post the latest that's been coming up.
0: Wonderful. Well, thank you for all that you're doing and for your advocacy, both of you. You know, there's a a lot of people who are very grateful and very fortunate to have you both. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you for joining and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you for joining us on Brain Mastery to hear from Michelle, Kathy and Adriana about the challenges they faced with long COVID. If you are experiencing any symptoms that may be long COVID, including brain fog, headaches, fatigue, memory issues, confusion, difficulty concentrating, depression, or anxiety, we want to help. Please contact us on our website, abiwellness.com, to find out more and enroll in the BEARS program.
3: Thank you so much for continuing to listen to the Brain Mastery Podcast. We're super grateful for the community of supporters of this podcast. Again, this podcast was designed with an intention and an objective, and that was to share stories of rehabilitation, of recovery from brain injury, to really interview some of the leaders out there to provide more hope to community members. So thank you again for all of the support with that. If this episode resonated for you and had value for you, we just ask. Please download and share it. Please also, if you wouldn't mind, rate the podcast. Those ratings really matter and help us to spread the message. If you're a clinical provider out there, meaning a physical therapist, an occupational therapist, or somebody who just works with people with brain injury and want to learn more about the Bears platform, we've tried to make it as easy as possible for you to do so. Just go to www.abiwellness.com to learn more about how to get involved. Our training is very accessible, and we've tried to make it very, very easy for people to get access to this neurorehabilitation platform. Thank you again for your support, and we'll see you on the next episode.
2: The statements made regarding the BEARS platform and ABI Wellness have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. The efficacy of the BEARS platform has not been confirmed by FDA-approved research. The BEARS platform is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. All information presented here is not meant as a substitute for or alternative to information from healthcare practitioners. Please consult your healthcare professional about potential interactions or other possible complications before using any product. The Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act requires this notice.